Please. Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinSwift.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, The First Guy to Funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at FunkinStuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify, as always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get, uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts, Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I'm thrilled to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership keyboardist, singer, composer, and producer Billy Beck of one of the greatest funk soul bands of all time, the legendary Ohio Players. First appearing with the group for its 1974 Masterwork Skin Tight album, he was a primary figure during the Ohio Players' mid to late 1970s peak years on Mercury Records. During the 1980s, he went on to work on countless projects with others, including Roger Troutman, and he continues to perform with the Ohio Players today. For my money, in terms of both dexterity and tonal coloring of the music, he is one of Funk's most underrated keyboard players. Billy, how are you? Welcome. I'm great, man. Uh, I'm great. Uh, thank you for the compliments. <laughs> My pleasure. I got something here that might take you back a little bit. Uh, I saved it from when uh, one of the shows I saw you guys play out in California in the 1970s. And um, the cover's gone because I had put it on my wall, but it's the original program that you guys had for your shows. And um, you'll probably remember this, I'm sure. I don't know how many of these are still around, but uh, there's your page there. <laughs> yeah and uh, so people can see here's some good shots of you right there yep <laughs> yeah that was um, from either at the uh, LA Shrine Auditorium in the mid 70s it was the Shrine okay yeah, yeah. I actually uh, took city buses 
to get to that because it was before I had a car or could drive or anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah, great. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, what I remember significantly about uh, that show is, you know, I was the youngest member of the group at that point in time. I was when I got with the group. Uh, I, I was nineteen because I got with them in seventy three and then turned 20 on June 18th, my birthday in 73. And so I was uh, the youngest one in that group and I remember about that Shrine show was, that's when I got a chance to meet Stevie Wonders. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Now had you, was that your first time uh, playing in Los Angeles or had you done before that? Oh, no, no, no. I had, I had only played locally uh, and uh, re locally and regionally uh, in uh, northeastern Ohio. But the Ohio players would always play up here, up in the, up here in the north northeastern and regional area. And uh, I was a fan from the first time I heard pain. And uh, uh, whenever they were close, I would make sure I went to the show. I was, uh, I was in high school. <laughs> I understand you had some, some formal training. How did you first get into keyboards, Billy? Uh, I started playing when I was four. Um, it was a kind of a gift thing. And, uh, by the time I was seven, I was taking uh, formal piano lessons and then when I got into junior high school, uh, a professor uh, of music at Youngstown State University's uh, Dana School of Music made me his protege and gave me all of my classical formal training, formal classical training for free. And by the time I got out of high school, I was already at a junior college level. So. <laughs> And who were some of your musical heroes uh, growing up? Oh my goodness. Uh, Chopin. Uh, Bach. Beethoven. Uh, James Brown. <laughs> uh, definitely James Brown because uh, when he came, when he came to, uh, I'm, I'm from originally from Youngstown, Ohio, which is in northeastern Ohio, about 100 miles south and west of Cleveland, south and east of Cleveland. And uh, he, James Brown, came to Stamba Auditorium, and I begged my mom. I was, I was 12 years old. And she took my mom, took me and dropped me off and came back and picked me up. Changed my whole life. All that classical training and stuff I had uh, met the funk and soul. <laughs> and it all got jumbled up. <laughs> in a good way, yeah. Yeah, in a good way. Um, so... You know, there was a lot of things that happened quickly, at least from the outside looking in. Um, Ohio players had success on Westbound, and um, of course they were together a long time before that, but they had success on Westbound, 
and and Judy was you know one of the Judy Morrison was one of the primary uh, featured performers of the band, but right. he parted ways with the band and the band switched labels and you got in there somewhere. So how did that all work out? Okay, every time the the, the players would come in the in our area, uh, as I told you, I would make sure I was at the show because I was a fan. Uh, I mean, I, I I knew Junie personally. Uh, you know, we they would always have a, a local opening band before they would come out. Well, I was always in the opening band. It would be a different band every time, but I would always be in it. <laughs> And uh, I think I was the only guy who who was arrogant and incompetent enough to play one of their own songs and bring them out of the dressing room to get their attention. <laughs> and so when uh, I didn't know that Junie had quit the group because this was after Ecstasy had had come out. Uh, but word through the musical grapevine spread pretty quickly. And every, there were a lot of people, you know, auditioning for that spot. And I was, uh, I was working in the steel mill. Uh, I had two daughters by then. Uh, I was working in a steel mill and uh, still going to YSU part-time, Youngstown State University. Um, and uh, so then I got a call from Satch because uh, Satch remembered me because you know every time they had come to Youngstown they kept seeing this little this kid with these glasses okay and uh, so I got a call and then they wanted to fly me to Dayton and I said hell no I've never been in a plane before I'm not flying <laughs> so then uh uh, they wait about maybe another couple, couple months, two three months down the line, and uh, I had two of my partners from high school. They drove me down to Dayton overnight, and I got to Satch's house about seven o'clock in the morning. About seven thirty, the Ohio Players tour bus pulled up. I got on the tour bus. Uh, and the rest is kind of history because I thought I was only going to fill in for the weekend. At least that's what Satch told me, right? <laughs> so uh, after that weekend, uh, I, ne I never went back. They, uh, I guess that meant I had a job. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and I mean, so I, I mean, I knew. I knew all their music because I, I was a fan I, and I, I'm a studier of music. I mean, I get down deep inside and to see who's doing what and listen to what's doing what. And uh, so I knew how the horns were supposed to sound. I knew, I said, God help me. I've got to do what Judy does. <laughs> uh, so I came close enough to pull it off. Okay, and then uh, as time went by, I started putting a little bit more of me into the show. And uh, I think by that oh, November, 
October or November of 73, we went into the studio up in Chicago, Paragon Studios. And uh, we were doing that and flying back to Buffalo. Uh, we were playing at a nightclub called the Red Pepper Lounge. So we were playing that at nighttime, taking the red eye out, getting to Chicago in the morning, being in the studio all day, and then back out to Buffalo to get back to doing the shows. And that's how we recorded Skin Tight. Wow. And of course, I'm going to show these as we go. But um, I mentioned before we start recording, I think that this was the first album I bought with my own money. I actually won a uh, $10 gift certificate to the record store. And a friend uh, whose older brother had this recommended it. And I got it and just hooked me as a lifelong fan right then. But, you know, I felt like the group made a quantum leap, you know, n nothing away from Junie or what they did on Westbound, but everything from the ecstasy to skin tight just seemed to elevate to a new level of, you know, fidelity in the sound, um, the complexity of the arrangements, the songwriting, um, the coalescing of just such an identifiable sound. Yeah. How, how did that leap happen in such a little short time? Uh, well, uh, they kind of gave me my gave me my head in the studio once once they saw because it wasn't my first time in a studio. That's that's the other thing. Uh, I had been in the studio since I was about eleven or twelve years old, recording, being just a side musician for other people when they would need an organist or a pianist. And I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who practiced every day, about six hours a day, every day homework and all <laughs> and uh, so it, it uh, I was out of I was kind of ready for and I, and I knew my theory my music theory okay which is theory when you know your theory it's, it also helps you know how to blend different sounds together so sugar and I used to use a term called uh, uh, tonal har tonal harmony Okay, and the tonal harmony is the magic of it all because everything has its tone, and everything should have its own area and space. And when when it does, fidelity-wise, you'll know it because you can hear it. And I think on this record, I think uh, Jive Turkey, I think was the one that led, and then Skin Type became an enormous hit. And your your name checked right on that big first hit. <laughs> I mean, Sugar calls you out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the first voice you hear, uh, the singing voice you hear is me, yeah, so, on Jive Turkey. And uh, I, I never fancied myself as a, as a singer, really. I'm more of a better musician. Uh, and Singing-wise, in my voice, I just thought I'd, I had a lot of, God blessed me with a good range of, of musical characters, should I say, because uh, I had to learn how to uh, imitate the granny voice from Junie. <laughs> that was part of me keeping my job, right? <laughs> Is that part of the audition? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was it. That was it. 
the audition was actually doing a live show. Yeah, I, I had no audition. When I got on the bus, we were on our way to a gig. Uh, uh, we were doing, we did a Coliseum opening up for Al Green. Nice. <laughs> that was my audition. <laughs> Trial by fire. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the sound, you know, was mature and just ripe and ready from the first Mercury record. But also the whole conceptual thing too, with the cover uh, images and just you know the way you guys photographed inside it. I mean, everything was so together from the get-go with Mercury um, that you know you guys just exploded on the scene at that point. Yeah, well, Mercury at that time they didn't have very many uh, black artists, and I don't think any that were successful during that period of time, and they kind of gave us the carte blanche, you know. Once they heard what we were doing in the studio, they kind of gave us the carte blanche. <laughs> what can you describe a little bit? What was it like in the studio with those guys? I mean, and uh, you know, such enormous talents and guys like Sugar and, and Diamond and what was it like? Oh, Diamond! Uh, Diamond was always amazing to me. His his dexterity and and. Uh, and his, his vocal, his high background vocal also was always amazing. When I when I first moved to Dayton, well, not moved there, I was actually there and I never left. <laughs> but uh, Diamond was the first one of the, of the guys that came over because I was staying in Satchel's house. Diamond was the first guys, one of the guys that came by Satchel's house and said, hey, Beck, come on, let me take you out, show you the city me by his home, introduced me to his wife and everything. Uh, uh, that I'll never forget about it. We, him and I are still that close, that brotherly close to this day. And uh, uh, Sugar and I, we connected on a whole nother level musically because we were way up here somewhere. <laughs> that's all I can, that's the only way I can explain it. Uh, we would sit and talk about music theory and, and and about trying different ideas, stuff that hadn't been done. Like, uh, for example, on uh, the Fire album, I think, What the Hell, uh -huh. doing, a, doing a one complete song in a totally, totally in a diminished key all the way through. <laughs> Said, nobody's done that before. I said, okay, let's try it. It seemed like all the experiments you guys were trying were just working, um, at least the ones that that I heard. Yeah, yeah, because we, we, you know, we we would we would uh, we would get in there and just try to do different stuff, stuff that hadn't been done before, and uh, we would listen to each other, okay, and everyone would uh, just try it. Just if someone asked was asked to do something, they'd say, okay, let's go, and that that total gung-ho attitude okay that that that's what made the difference you know and, and uh, there were on some outtakes there were a lot of mistakes <laughs> and uh, we would laugh about it so we would challenge each other <laughs> all kinds of little just fun stuff man. Yeah, I mean, when they, they use the term chemistry, I don't think there's a better example than the chemistry that those 
seven Ohio players guys had, and eight if you or nine if you extend it to you know Chad and and uh, right, uh, right. Because, Robert, uh, I'm the one. Yeah, uh, I'm the one that uh, uh, basically uh, gave the, the go ahead about Chet because I knew Sugar needed more help after we uh, you know had recorded a couple albums. He needed more help with guitar playing because it was guitar tracks here and there and here and there. You know, I said, unless you're going to grow a couple of arms, you need another guitar player. <laughs> so I, I went and saw Chet. Chet was a, a Dayton native also. And he was with a local band there. As soon as I saw him and heard him sing, I said, oh, he's the guy. He's the guy. And and I think Chet, Chet and I are the Geminis of the group. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, he he played live, I think, though, with you guys before he actually was on, uh, or at least before he was credited on an album, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, he did. Yes, he he, he started playing live uh, as early as I think it in '74. Mm-hmm. Started playing with us live in '74. One of the things I loved about the group too was just the whole thing that it was so self-contained, you know written by, performed by, produced by, arranged by. And I think, you know, that helped just have that, you know, vision uh, consistent and crystallized and and unfiltered and just, you know, the way it needed to be. Right, right, right. Um, well, they, you know, they, the record company, they, they, had, they had people come in and uh, had, as just like a, You've seen the, the Bowery Boys movies, yeah. okay? You'd be like, okay, here he comes, okay. You guys, okay, young, those guys distract him over here. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> ah, you guys take him over here and get him attention so we can go ahead and get this done. <laughs> we will keep them out of our hair, basically. So M- Mr. X. Right, 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 right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we would do. <laughs> as great as Skin Tight was, though, I mean, and you already mentioned it, but I mean, Fire uh, took it to a whole nother stratosphere. Um, just almost a flawless record. And, um, you know, Fire, I'll never forget when I first heard that track. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, and how was it? Did you did you feel like that record was going to be like it was? I mean, could you tell beforehand? Uh, well, uh, I tell you what, we felt strong enough about the track um, because we would always write our music first and put all of our horn arrangements on first, and then go write the lyrics and the melodies, which is different than everybody else. And because we we played. Uh, the, the fire track, uh, I'm not sure what we used to call it, but we played the track for Stevie, Stevie Wonder. And he said, I don't know what you're going to call it. He said, but it's a hit. <laughs> and he was right. And he was right. Was he in the same studio at the time? or? Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, we played it for him, I think, when we did that show out in... Uh, out in uh, the one you, you were telling at the co- uh, was uh, at the shrine, shrine at the shrine. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
that hit it so big and you guys were riding so high that you were able to do a complete uh, I think it, it was right around that time when you did a complete midnight special that was just the Ohio players right yeah yeah which was cool it was cool because uh, I, I didn't know that we were doing a, a whole show uh, you know we were just we were just doing our doing what we do because uh I thought we were just taping it and they were going to edit it, cut it up into different parts or whatever, you know, to be shown this time and be shown at that time. And when I, my mom called me and said, no, they're doing the whole show. <laughs> I said, what? So yeah, that was, that was special. Yeah, that was a very special midnight special. and. You know, at the time, of course, you know, way before internet and, and most other things, a friend of mine recorded it on a cassette player off the TV set speaker. And we used to listen to it all the time, even though it had like the hum from the TV and everything. But it was the only <laughs> way we could keep listening to that midnight special, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, a, that was a real fun time. Fun time. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's when, oh, that's because we had started on using on our road, on our tour bus, we'd started using uh, pop lock dancers, you know, that's right. And uh, no one had seen that before in a live show. So, uh, in our live show. So the nation got a chance to see it. Yeah, I think, cool. was there just two of them or was there more than two? Uh, there were more than two, but they, you know, it would be it would be two. This two would come on, they go off, and then another two would come on. Yeah, I mean, I also saw the show at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium in California. I don't know if you remember that one, but I think Side Effect was the opening act. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. We also did a show where uh, uh, we were the first group out there to use laser lights. We did a show in Pittsburgh and uh, we had laser lights and they opened up the roof and the laser was just everywhere over everybody. And I heard the crowd go, oh. <laughs> and of course you had all the smoke and the, and the, and the, uh, whatever you call those siren like lights for the, uh, yeah. fire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and laser lights. We, we, uh, we tried we we would try a lot of stuff uh bernie worrell and i who were very good friends uh from from george uh i i was the first uh, keyboardist to have an endorsement um from uh arp string soloist arp okay yeah I, yeah i had an endorsement for arp from arp uh, i was the first keyboard player to have an endorsement from arp uh, keyboards and uh, I used to use all their keyboards. There's arc string solos because uh, Bernie asked me, he said, what's that, what's that you're using for strings? And I told him it. So he started using it on all of Georgia stuff. And uh, what year about would you say that was? Oh my goodness, I'd say that was about 70, 74, 75. Yeah, because definitely, you know, when I think back in, uh, to, to that period and listening to all the, um, you know, funk and soul bands and everything else, 
you and Bernie, I've always felt had a, a similarity in sort of the coloring of the music in the background with the key, with the you know orchestral kind of keyboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 were each other's biggest biggest fans. Uh, we were really that 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 cool. <laughs> we had a very good camaraderie when we would see each other on the road. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I'll tell you someone else from the group who I also had a very good camaraderie with was uh, Gary Schreider, uh, the guy who wore the diapers. Oh, yeah. Gary Schreider. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. He could sing. <laughs> that guy could sing. Yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, Billy, you, you were mentioning about you, um, you brought up It's Hell. Um, or what the hell is actually the name of that track, but right, there was so much innovation just you know on this fire record. Of course, I want to be free, and uh, you know such a non-traditional. There's, there's a story behind that too. Okay, I was going through uh, going through my first divorce, and uh, we were really going at it, and. Uh, uh, Sure, and I were roommates on the road, you know, in the hotel rooms. I'd be talking to him about it, you know, brother to brother and stuff. So uh, he wound up writing a song about I want to be free. <laughs> I said, thanks, bro. <laughs> Seriously, that is the story behind it. I was going through my first divorce well that must that have helped was... you feel a little better about it that's such a great track <laughs> oh yeah yeah it, it turned out to be and it's and actually i got my divorce in that may of 75 and i was still playing on the radio and i said listen to this <laughs> uh, but anyhow, it, uh, that's that's that was a there was there were so many funny stories. The laugh on fire. That was me, because uh, Sugar and I co-led that. Sugar would lead the first line, and then I would lead the second line, and back and forth. And when it got to the laugh, the lady on the fire album actually has a twin sister, and they were in the control room dancing and shaking their butts and, and uh, I, as I was singing that lead she the twin walked through the door I mean really shaking her butt and I, I just busted out laughing so, so I never never a... did finish whatever the lyric was <laughs> on the paper <laughs> and I said okay let me do it again and the guys all the guys fellas said no, let's, let's listen to that. So that's a real laugh. Yeah, that's my real laugh. That's <laughs> my real. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. a real laugh. That's awesome. Um, did, did you guys, this ended up being sort of like a theme album too, because you had the hell and the ring from the devil with the fire and all that. Did, did... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once, uh, once Satch would, because Satch was at the, one who would be the concept guy. He would come up with the concept for the album, the title. And then 
Sugar and I and everybody else would get to work. Writing, constructing, the music and and thinking about the lyrics and stuff. I heard that at least on some of the cuts, maybe you guys would like just really jam for a long time and then pull something out of that to craft into the song. Did it work? Yeah. 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 Sometimes we would just uh, turn the tape on and just hit a nice groove spot and just uh, save the best parts of that groove spot. Okay. And then make a song out of it. Did, did that sometimes uh, add up to the studio cost? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. My, my friend just gave me the name, Ark. He just thought of it. <laughs> okay, back to your question. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we didn't think about it then. You know, we didn't worry about it because we were just creating. The tapes never stopped rolling. They never stopped rolling. From the time that we stepped into the studio control room, out of the control room and into the studio where everyone was at, the tape started rolling and they never stopped. And uh, which obviously uh, it's not the best way to go. We found that out in the long run um, for all purposes of how things happen and how quickly things happen, I still take that. I'm glad it happened that way. Okay, but uh, most of us at that point in time didn't know anything about uh, royalties or or what's deducted or against your royalties or anything like that. We found out. <laughs> yeah. Everyone eventually finds out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so my advice to you young guys, don't listen to them when they try to advance you this against your royalties. Don't do it. <laughs> don't sell your soul like that. All right. Um, so the arrangements that we heard on those records, uh, Billy, were you mostly doing the arrangements or was it a, a, yeah. a you were uh, yeah. even into the horns or was that mostly Satch doing yeah. that? That was me with doing the horns. Uh -huh. That was my once again my my uh, my classical training music knowledge, having an idea of the of the range of the instruments, uh, the difference between an E flat, a B flat, and a concert instrument, and what their ranges are, and you know how how they how they should match or mesh. Did, did did everybody always get on board with that? Or did they sometimes say, man, Billy, you're being too cerebral or whatever, you know? No, most of the time, I never got any complaints because it was always a challenge. Remember I told you, we would love to challenge each other. So it was like, oh, I can play that. <laughs> oh, I bet you can't play it or get it right on the first time. Oh, I bet you I can 20 takes later. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it was always a challenge and a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, for for the most part, I, uh, the horn lines and stuff, I, I did all that. Wow, impressive. Congratulations on that. What, um, we haven't mentioned uh, Marshall Jones. What can you tell us about him? Because 
He was such an understated he, bass player, but had, so important. He had, he had a bass rhythm pocket unlike any other bass player that I've ever played with in my life. Uh, and I would, I, 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 when, I, when I told you I was an Ohio player fan, I would have, that's why I admired about him because he would, he would go in his own zone and instead of playing the pocket a usual bass player would play, okay, he, he would play something different and so everyone, everyone was slightly from, from the bottom up with him being the bottom, we all had to kind of shift to make, to complement that. You know what I'm saying? Everybody had to shift a little to the left or shift a little to the right to make it all work. And if you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, we give it some unique character. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's why it became so unique. Yeah. And, you know, he, like I say, he wasn't flashy, kind of like, um, I think maybe of like cool and cool in the gang, not flashy, but just the holding it down, you know, just like. Right. Yeah. Right. That was him. <laughs> and what was he like as that just a him. guy? Uh, his, his, the best track, the one most impressive one to run to me that he did was uh, Hushi Koo. Hmm. Because in the beginning of that, we have been, we think we have recorded this track down at Miami Criteria Studios. Uh, just, I think that was only one of the two other places that we ever recorded beside Paragon. And we have been recording all day and all night and cats were sleepy and tired. And so the first thing you hear on the record is his backbone gone. He can't do nothing. <laughs> As that was because everyone was asleep. <laughs> so we saved that and edited it to the front of the song. <laughs> that's, that's, that song is killer rhythmically. I mean, the guitar part too, and the drum part and just, wow. Yeah, that guitar line, that, that's that, that's uh, Chet. That's Chet. That's that down south, down home, backwood guitar line. <laughs> yeah, Chet was born in uh, Louisiana. Ah. So that's that, that's that down south bucket like guitar from, line. A little bit from the meters type of deal, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that a uh, hoochie of course was a contradiction and um, got to talk about to me this is when you know the band hit the zenith creatively and just everything was just at its ultimate on honey um, uh, uh, and you know the the title track for that uh, I wrote that title track for that on during the fire sessions uh, uh, and did not have any idea what to call it. Uh, I, I asked Diamond, I said, Diamond, come on out and play this with me. 
So first it was just nobody on it but me and Diamond. And uh, then I would get some la 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 la's and some don't, don't you hold on. You know, those back type of backgrounds. And, you know, put some organs and strings on it and just left it. And it didn't make the fire cut, so when it came time for honey, we went back and grabbed it and said, well, let's call this one honey. And I said, oh, okay, that makes sense, because this is a little sweet. <laughs> okay, it wasn't a funky song. It was kind of ballad-ishy, kind of slow, you know, so. That was uh that was special. That was special that the band decided to choose that song for the title track. That one has a, sort of I would say a lush quality to it. Yeah. 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 Um, and that album too had a theme running through with "Sweet Sticky Thing" and the honey, and um, also in um, "Let's Let's Do It." You know, birds do it, bees do it. Um, which we oh, which we got sued for by the Gershwin Foundation. Oh, really? <laughs> Oh yeah, George and Ira Gershwin. <laughs> yeah, that's from their song. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. Well, actually, I, I don't mean, we. Oh, go ahead. I, I didn't hear you. Well, I was going to say I don't remember the gentleman's name, but I saw uh, your attorney was recently on a um, Funk Center interview. Was talking about you know doing your legal. Your, I guess he was your attorney for many years with the Ohio players. Um, who would that be? He handled the uh, IRS stuff, he said, and for everybody, okay. but except Satch, he said. Okay, okay. Okay, he 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 handled a lot of the financial legal stuff for, for the group, when it came to financial legal stuff like the IRS. Um, but, uh, for years, our legal attorney was uh, uh, Linda Mitch and uh, Dick Shelton. Dick Shelton and Linda Mitch, and because uh, Linda Mitch still is my attorney to this day, uh, that's who I was talking to when you tried to call me the first time. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's great when you can have such long-term relationships like that. Yeah, it is. Really, it is. Because uh, she had just gotten with the firm the same year that I just got with these guys. Wow. <laughs> she got with uh, the Dick Shelton firm uh, in 73, and I got with 73-74, and I got with the players in 73-74. So. Sweet Sticky Thing is another one of those just so innovative and unique sounding and just nothing like it. Um, how did that come to be? I mean, just what a great track. That one, that one was Sugar's Baby. That was Sugar's Baby. He came up with those changes, and I just followed his lead. And uh, and uh, he took took breaks, and and so instead of just you leaving the breaks uh, open space, I. Tried to make some kind of overture out of them with the strings. Some kind of drama. <laughs> you know, take, take the people on a musical 
take their ears on a, a musical ride. Yeah, that song is just very um, unique in the way it just constantly uh, has ebbs and flows of building up the musical tension. Right. You know. Right. How, how did FOP come to be? <laughs> well, we uh, we were back in the day, you know, unlike today, because nowadays they, they say a lot of things on on records and a lot of profanity and what have you. Back in those days, you didn't say profanity, so we said, well, we'll make up our own word. <laughs> so we were actually talking about having, uh, making love, and we used, made up our own word, F-O-P-P. -P. Still started with F. <laughs> it just ended with a P. Still four letters, yeah. <laughs> four letters, right. It's got a vowel in there. Right. <laughs> I always heard so a lot the of next time, So now the next time you listen to the song, you just say, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, after 40 years or whatever. Right. <laughs> Because there's always been debate whether it was a dance or doing the act, you know? It's like... <laughs> uh, well, it was uh, it was an act first, and then we tried to make it into a dance. But that groove on that track, I mean, to me, I was like, at that time, it's like, okay, fire, that can never be topped, right? And then Fop right. came out, and I was like, that groove is even harder and nastier, I think, than fire. Yeah. And I didn't think that could be done. Um, and I think to some extent, because it was so fierce, it didn't get to be as big of a crossover hit as fire. But I thought it was just as worthy as fire. Mm -hmm. But because uh, Sugar, Sugar tried to uh, go a little bit on the rockish end with, with some of his guitars. And I'm not sure if, if our fans were ready for to accept us doing rock, rockish type things, you know. <laughs> it's still so funky, that track. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then and then later, Rock Band covered it. Soundgarden did a version of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's made me feel good to... Uh, some bands have covered our, our music, and, and a lot of uh, artists have have uh, sampled our music. That's for oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers, they did uh, Love Roller Coaster from that same album. Um, how, how, do you just feel flattered from those things, or do you sometimes think? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I definitely feel flattered. Definitely feel flattered. You know, that's, that, that is... Uh, that's like somebody saying, you did a good job, sir, you know? Yeah.